You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, and welcome to The Compass, the podcast documenting the struggles of life as an artist. I'm Leah Walsh. My guest today is Dawn Michelle Johnson. Dawn is a beautiful violist and teacher. We were at Juilliard at the same time, and I've always admired her infectious energy and talent. We haven't seen each other since graduating, but have kept up over Facebook, as you do nowadays, when you feel like you know what your friends are up to from afar. It was wonderful to hear about what she's been doing, and her outlook on life and teaching is very inspiring to me. I'm really excited to share this conversation. This was recorded over Skype, as she now lives in Washington, D.C. with her husband and little daughter. Just a side note before the interview, the show I've been lucky enough to be in since November, Drunkalvania, is finally closing April 15th. We can't extend again. So if you'd like to come out and see it, get your tickets now. We'd love to have you. Just go to drunkalvania.com for more information. I hope you enjoy the 67th episode of The Compass. from going to the dark side as an artist ah the dark side Um, and what is the dark side for you most often yeah I mean I guess first and foremost um my faith is probably the biggest anchor and pillar um in my artistic development and just who I am um as an artist um I come from this sort of perspective of you know, God blessed me with the gifts um, that I have and my artistry. Um, and so in order to keep from going to that dark place or the place that I say where I almost forget, you know, where I came from and who gave me these gifts, um, just every day, um, I actually have a prayer routine, you know, from the time I wake up in the morning um, to, you know, sometimes even when my family is still sleeping, um, I pray over them. And I, you know, when I have my morning routine, which is also very meditative um, for me, um, you know, that's the time where, you know, I'm playing my gospel music and I'm singing my songs in the shower and I'm praying in the shower. Uh-huh. Um, I feel very close for some reason to God when I'm around or near water. <laughs> so like the ocean or the shower. That's or the Miami you know, girl. Yeah, exactly. That's the Miami in me. Um, and so I do, you know, as, as many times throughout the day um, as I can sort of remember, um, you know, where I came from, who I came from, who blessed me with life, who blessed me with these gifts, who blessed me with the family, especially, you know, you look around and, um, you know, although, we're all from my perspective, you know, God's children sometime with the 
with the craziness that we experience in our day-to-day lives, it's really easy to forget um, or sort of, you know, stop believing um, in, you know, who, who blessed us with life. And so I try to make that my silver lining um, in every day. Of course, some days are harder than others, especially, you know, when things, tragic things happen or, you know, life isn't always so great. Um, so just trying to remember, like, like God is the center of my focus, my faith, my art, my talent, my gift um, amidst the good times and the bad times. And so it's sort of um, that anchor, you know, even though, you know, life has all of this ebb and flow and ups and downs, um, that's the one sustaining thing that you can always rely on is that God is always right there, whether you believe it or not, see it or not. Um, but there's always something bigger, um, yeah. guiding you through life. Um, and everything happens for a reason. So that's, uh, probably my biggest piece of faith, um, from keeping myself from going to the dark side. And it's not to say that, you know, there aren't days that are somewhat depressing or sad or, you know, life can throw a curveball at you. But I think holding on to that faith, um, gives you that piece of optimism that you need to always keep pushing, always keep going, um, yeah. amidst the good, the bad and the ugly. Have, has that always been a part of your life or is it something Ooh. that you found later on or? Great question. Um, that's actually something that really hit home for me actually after I had my daughter. Um, so I had Briley. Briley's three now. She'll be four um, in September. Um, and I, I always say to my husband, um, after, you know, I had her and, you know, went through labor and delivery, I just laid in the bed and just said, Oh my God, Oh my God, for like 10 (laughs) minutes or what felt like an eternity. Because I don't know, something just happened to me in that moment. I always tell my husband, Oh, I think I briefly met God for a second. That's the only way I made it through that. Um, (laughs) But yes, you just, I mean, when you live for something and some people um, greater than yourself, um, I think it opens up your eyes to that there's someone greater than you, right, who's also um, sort of having that presence um, in your life. Um, And so it took me, you know, getting married, like marrying my husband and having my daughter and starting a family of my own to realize, you know, I'm not doing this by myself because these are things that I wasn't the girl growing up who was like, oh, my God, I can't wait to get married or, oh, my God, I really want to be a mom or like have a baby. You know, these were the things that just happened um, in my life. And once I was in a, you know, really great relationship with my now husband and, you know, we have our beautiful daughter and just a great like family and great relationship. Um you just have to be thankful, um, for these blessings. Um, and they're truly, truly blessings because, you know, having a little one definitely opens up your eyes to things that 31 years in life, you're like, Oh wait, no, nope. She's her own person. That's not, that's not me. <laughs> you know, just finding different ways to sort of deal with someone who literally came out of you, but is their own person. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I always refer back to the Bible, which is like my compass for life mm-hmm. <laughs> and just, you know, keeping things in perspective of there's something greater than me. There's something greater than all of us, um, yeah. making all of these parts move. Um, but it took, me actually physically having a child to giving life um, to another human being um, that really put those things into perspective for me. So I'm very thankful for it. I'm very, you know, blessed um, by it and because of it. And I think it's something I was actually, um, I think about it a lot now because, you know, what we do as artists, you don't see very many, at least the field that I'm in, classical music, orchestral music, chamber music, um, you don't see a lot of women become mothers for whatever reason, you know, let people do the things that they want to do with their lives. So whatever right. that reason is, um, but I think the the stats will show that you, it's just 
you don't see a lot of um, women, um, uh, particularly in classical music, um, who have children. And I think a part of that, and I'm, you know, I fell victim of it, well, not victim, um, but I experienced um, this to a certain degree, was you spend so much time developing your craft and your gift and, you know, trying to win this job and practicing and, you know, doing this competition and going on tours and chamber music yeah. and playing here and there, that sometimes you think um, that that's all that life has for you and so you almost cut yourself off from a whole nother world of existence that I didn't even you know really existed until I finished school and you know got out here on my own I met a wonderful man had a, like I didn't <laughs> realize that like there was so much more to life well it takes so much it dedication just, yeah, yeah daily yeah, especially yeah. for you as a musician like daily dedication to your practicing yes. and everything I, I of course you get tunnel vision because you feel like that's how you're going to succeed Absolutely, absolutely. But look, there's a whole, I mean, we can open up the palette of <laughs> things that we can do and that we're capable of and, you know, little blessings that can come into our life along the way that, you know, we should yeah. pay attention to um, because, you know, being a mom and being a wife now has actually really made me love my art even more because I have something bigger um, than myself and, you know, my yeah. audience um, to connect it to and to relate it to and to do it for. Um, so just yeah. this notion of stepping outside of yourself for something bigger, for something greater, that's literally out there waiting for everybody. <laughs> that's, so. So, that's so wonderful to hear. That's beautiful. Because <laughs> that is something, like, as artists, since we are such a big part of what we're doing, like yourself, mm -hmm. your being mm -hmm. is part of your artistry, and um, mm -hmm. when you make it your career, it's part of mm -hmm. what you're using to make a living, and, Absolutely. And so I think for so many people, the dark side comes when we, we focus too much on ourselves and lose sight, exactly. of, lose sight of that bigger picture. Mm -hmm. um, so that's amazing that having your family and having this relationship to God really allows you to keep that perspective. Absolutely. Because we become so self-critical in our process, even though, you know, that's partially necessary. You know, we have to look in to see um, the things that we're doing to be able to fulfill the things that need to come out. But, you know, it's it's constant self-analysis and critiquing. And when you're not critiquing yourself, you have a private teacher to critique you. And when they're not critiquing you, you have a member of your chamber. So it's this, this constant yeah. me, 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 me which is necessary as a part of the process, but it's not the only part of the process. Um, and so I think the more we start to engage ourselves in things outside of the me, 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 to help influence, you know, when we have that sort of introspection um, to ourselves, um, just the more well-rounded, the more, you know, whole um, we can be as artists. Um, and it just helps, you know, we have to, we do this for people to connect other people. But if we're constantly just so wrapped up in ourselves, it's really hard to make that connection. Yeah. Um, to whatever character you might be playing or to whatever piece you might be learning or to whatever audience you're trying to reach. So I think it's really important for us to just, you know, absorb all of these really wonderful things that all of life has to offer to influence us as artists, um, but to also, you know, help inform that self-analysis that's so critical to the process. Um, but it's just a part of the process. It's not the entire process. Yeah. Um, and so that's something really comforting is that there's always something new to learn, always another person to reach, always, you know, there's always this room for, for growth and to, you know, sort of spread your wings out to reach more and more and more, even though, right, the, the sort of uh, contradiction to the process is we have to keep going in and in and in and in um, yeah. to find that. But I think there are different ways that we can play around with this artist to sort of really grow ourselves in that way. So I see behind you on the wall that you're like in your classroom yeah. right I now. Am. <laughs> 
<laughs> which is amazing. I have a whole gallery that goes around. Uh, oh I don't know if you can see awesome. my classroom. So actually the thing behind me says, I don't know if you can see it. It says, these are the people who believed in Mrs. Johnson, her teachers. Now as your teacher, Mrs. Johnson believes in you. So it's wow. all of my teachers I've ever had um, to just sort of, you know, give my students this feeling of optimism and hope and that, you know, there are people who believe in you, who want to see you do well, who want to see you succeed, even though, you know, from day to day, I'm in here beating you upside the head, F sharp, G, low risk, all those sorts of things. But to just sort of, again, have this broader picture of like why you're here, why we're doing this. So yeah, yeah I am in my classroom. <laughs> so are you teaching full time now or just? Um... Yes. I, um, I've been with KIPP DC. Um, it's like the largest network of public charter schools in DC for going on almost eight years now. Wow. Um, and so I've had various roles um, throughout the organization. Um, last year, I was um, their director of music and arts for all of their schools here in DC. Wow. Um, and I was also teaching full time. So that became a little much. Yeah. Um, so I actually um, stepped down from my position as director of music and arts, even though I still, you know, I'm still very active with like helping out with things um, across some other schools. Um, but yeah, now I'm just back to my orchestra director position at Key Academy, which is one of their middle schools. Um, and I've been doing this for about eight years. So string orchestra to, and I don't know if you know about the mission of Kip DC or not, what the organization is about, um, but it's um, basically free tuition, free public charter school education for students in low income communities okay. um, or under, sorry, underserved or under-resourced. I forget the political terminology uh, around yeah. it but it's basically um students who are often forgotten about in the whole public education um landscape in terms of funding in terms of resources in terms of access um in terms of opportunity so um yeah i've been here for eight years in addition i still you know teach privately at home i still perform um so i just actually came back from detroit um, had some planning to do out there and attended this wonderful conference um, with the Sphinx organization, um, which caters to African-American and Latino musicians in classical music. Oh, cool. um, so I think they had about over 600 people at the conference. It was called the Epicenter for Artists and Leaders in Diversity. Um, and so I'm just trying to continue sharpening my sword um, and, you know, getting out there networking and conferencing so I can bring back a lot of things um, to my kids here. Um, and today, actually, we have the Youth Orchestra of the Americas Global Leaders Program coming to work with the kids for two weeks. So they send in string players from all over the world, Belize, Colombia, Canada, um, all over um, to just sort of give students that global perspective um, that they need um, if they want to become musicians on a global scale. So I'm really excited. It's my favorite time of the year when they come because <laughs> it's about five of them. And so kids get private lessons and one-to-one -one instruction, um, small group lessons. Um, so I'm only one person and normally my, my load is about 320 kids. So yeah. it's nice to, yeah, it's a lot. Um, so it's nice to have other people come and just, you know, offer students their perspective of what it's like um, to be out here in the field doing what we do. Yeah. What ages are you working with? Um, so I'm in middle school. Okay. Um, Normally, I'm fifth through eighth grade, mm -hmm. but I am this year currently um, only seventh and eighth grade, um, and then I do an all eighth grade honors orchestra. So next year, we'll slowly start adding the other grades back in. So yeah, we'll see what happens with that. You are a busy, busy woman. Oh, yes. I like busy, though. <laughs> good, good, good. When you're out performing in the world and moving through these spaces that are predominantly male in some cases how mm. how do you handle that is that ever a challenge 
I think the bigger challenge, um, more so than gender, is probably race. Yeah. Um, because, you know, I'm navigating not only as a woman, um, but I'm also navigating as an African-American woman yeah. in an industry that's predominantly white male. Right. Um, and not even just white American male, right? This is European, um, you know, white male, because, yeah. you know, classical music is coming from the European um, tradition. Um, and for me, I think my best tool um, that I use to navigate that road is just being the best me that I can be, um, just sort of standing firm, like a really strong tree <laughs> um, planted in the ground in terms of um, knowing um, the history of the things that, you know, the history of the music that I might be performing or the composer who I might be studying, knowing as much as I possibly can um, about where I am um, in terms of the space that I'm occupying in music, whether that be, you know, collaborating with a chamber music group, whether that be sitting in an orchestra, um, but just knowing and acknowledging and understanding the space that I'm in um, as a performer mm -hmm. and just sort of making sure I'm um, going back to the notion of just being the best me that I can be. You know, I, I only know how to be me. I can only be me. And so if I'm yeah. always trying to be someone different, depending on what space I'm occupying or what environment I'm in, I never really have a clear sense of who Dawn is as a person. Yeah. Um, and I feel like when you really don't have a clear sense of who you are as a person, it's sort of very easy to be influenced by, you know, any sort of attractive opinion or notion or philosophy that might come your way. Um, and so, you know, I take all of those things, um, I definitely take them into consideration, um, but they're not sort of my, my end all source of, of knowing or, you know, sort of flip flopping based on, oh, well, I'm here around an orchestra full of white men today. So I have to conduct myself. No, like I'm, I'm just me. I'm going to strive to be the best me, um, that I can be the best person, um, that I can be to know as much as I can to practice as much as I can to just sort of be the best that I can be in the things that I've been, um, blessed with, um, and just take that with me wherever I go, but still being open, you know, to new interpretations of things, to different, um, groups of people, to different ethnicities, to learning as much as I can about other people and using that, you know, newly acquired knowledge to, you know, not inform who I am, but sort of add it, you know, almost like a little seasoning to, you know, help make me better <laughs> because I have a more informed perspective of who I am. Yeah. Is your husband in the arts as well? No, <laughs> no, my husband's actually a former athlete. Okay. Um, so yeah, he was a college football player, um, went really, really far, um, almost entered the draft and then he was injured. But actually now um, my husband works right down the street from me. Um, he also teaches at a public charter school um, in the under-resourced, underserved community. Okay. Um, and he's a high school English teacher. Um, so he's about maybe five minutes down the street from me. Um, but you know, he has this incredible passion for football. Um, and over the years, throughout the course of our relationship, you know, we've, you know, discovered all of these parallels between artists um, and athletes. Um, and so, you know, that's been a great source of joy for us. And just in terms of the development of our relationship, because while it looks on the surface like we may have nothing in common, I'm coming from the arts, he's coming from athletics. It's actually so much, so, so much that we have in common. Um, and he still has this undying passion and love for football. So he actually coaches football. Um, oh, at the cool. school where he teaches. So he's their English teacher and he's also one of their football coaches. <laughs> so if you don't do your homework, you're not going to football practice. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. Yeah, well, I mean, it takes the same kind of hard work. Oh, yeah. To oh, do yeah. either one. They're both so difficult. Mm -hmm. So that's great. Mm -hmm. that yeah. Even it's though really you don't have it in common, he can still appreciate what you do and understand Absolutely. what you do. 
Absolutely. Um, and he's just, I mean, he's been such a rock for me in terms of, you know, we, we have this crazy lifestyle as artists, you know, you're home one week, then you have to pick up and go somewhere for another week, then you're back mm -hmm. home, then you have to go practice five hours a day, and then you have this <laughs> rehearsal, and then you have this gig, and then, so you're just kind of like running all over yeah. the place. But he's been really just sort of steadfast in support, um, I mean, just relentless support, because um, it's not easy for, especially, you know, to be in a relationship with someone um, who might not particularly be an artist, or has even really had that much exposure to the performing arts, particularly classical performing arts. Yeah. Um, and so, um, you know, just yeah. trying with every opportunity that comes my way to use these sorts of things um, is just, you know, to open up um, who we are as a family and to learn more and to grow more and to attend performances um, and just sort of, you know, sharing that experience um, together with, you know, I'm constantly learning as an artist. And so it's really nice to have um, my husband growing and learning with me um, and just helping me to see, you know, different perspectives to things because, you know, helping me with decision making. Hey, you know, I'm kind of on the fence about this opportunity, you know, make the list of pros, make the list of cons and just having that voice of reason to be like, well, this completely makes no sense. Oh, I think you should go with this because this one. So it's really nice to have that person outside of myself to help me yeah. um, through that process. That's wonderful. Yeah. Have you found with since you've been teaching um, for mm -hmm. so many years now, are they pretty flexible with you? Like if you do get an opportunity that you're really excited about that you want to go away for a week, mm -hmm. that kind of thing, has it been tricky to balance those things out or do they let you have some freedom? Um, I think it's a little bit of both. I think the key word you mentioned there was balance. Um, so of course, you know, I am a full-time teacher. So yeah. that's, you know, where the heart of my responsibility lies. Um, but for example, I just came back from, I missed three days last week because I was out in Detroit at this huge conference yeah. um, in a field that I'm most passionate about. Um, so that was like a no-brainer, like just hey, you know, I understand. Um, I try to give them as much leeway as possible in terms of I've known since September. So I'm letting you know in September that right. in February um, that I'm going to be gone for a couple of days. Um, and then there are also, you know, when you're a classroom teacher, there are also opportunities for professional development. Um, so this particular conference that I just came back from, um, I sort of, you know, put it in, but put that time in um, as a professional development opportunity. And I'm so happy I did it because it was the biggest professional development opportunity that I've had the opportunity to take advantage of since I've been teaching. Um, you know, I also have performances at the Kennedy Center every now and again, where, you know, a 10 o'clock rehearsal on a Tuesday morning conflicts with my 10 o'clock class that I'm supposed to be teaching here. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, when opportunities like that come along, I really just sort of weigh um, the options. Um, and I try to actually bring a lot of my students to some of those opportunities too. So, you know, if I'm playing with um, Soulful Symphony, which is an orchestra that's based in Baltimore, mm -hmm. um, I love to get my students to the open rehearsals. Um, and it's sort of like, hey guys, we're moving class to the Meyerhoff Symphony Hall today. You guys are gonna be taking notes. You're actually gonna see me on stage performing. <laughs> Um, and just sort of trying to, you know, have those two worlds come together as much as possible um, yeah. because it's really important for my students to see, um, you know, I'm not just in here telling you how to do these things, but I'm also practicing what I preach. And I want you to have the opportunity to see these things um, in action, um, especially in a field where ticket prices for, you know, some things that I do 
are upwards of 150, 200. Like it's, it's yeah. crazy. Um, and so, but if there's, you know, a friend performing, Hey guys, do you mind if I have one or two tickets for two students who won a competition this week? Or, um, you know, Hey guys, do you mind if I bring about 10 kids along to this open rehearsal today? Um, or if it's an evening concert, even better. Hey everybody, here's a flyer. There's a concert tonight, you know, at union market, come down with your family and friends. It's a free concert at the Kennedy center. Um, so just trying to bring those two worlds together, um, as much as possible. But I think, um, you know, going back to that keyword that you mentioned with balance, um, you know, it's not always that clear cut, um, and easy. And so, you know, for example, this week, um, I was supposed to maybe go down to Jacksonville um, to do some chamber music playing down there, but it fell right in the heart of when the residents were coming from all over the world. So obviously that's an opportunity where, you know, Hey, sorry, I can't make it this time because, this is going on is um, at the same time. So yeah. just, you know, it's a balancing act, um, weighing things out. Um, it's a scheduling <laughs> madness <laughs> that, that happens too. Um, but organization is the key to all of that. Organization yeah. and prioritizing everything. Um, I think once you really have a clear system of how to organize yourself um, and prioritize your life in a way where you do things that are most meaningful to you and sometimes have to balance them out with things that aren't as, you know, meaningful to you, um, I think, you know, once you figure out that balance, um, you're in a good position. Yeah. Um, was teaching something that you were interested in pursuing front right from getting out of school or what did that kind of occur I've, to you later? Yeah, I've been teaching probably since like my freshman year of high school, <laughs> whether it be, you know, other kids were also freshmen or middle schoolers. Uh-huh. Um, I used to teach right in my mom's living room growing up in Miami, you know, students who were preparing for youth orchestra auditions and I was still in high school. And so I come from a family of educators. Okay. And my mom's a college professor. My dad was a teacher. All of my aunts are teachers. My grandfather was a school principal. So gotcha. it's, it's in the DNA. <laughs> it's in the DNA. Awesome. Even if I wanted to run from it, I couldn't because it's so much a part of um, who I am. Yeah. Um, it's, my husband always tells me, you couldn't stop teaching if you wanted to. Like, you, it's, it's just a part of like who you are. Um, and I love it because it also helps to develop you as a performer. And it also helps to develop you as an artist. Um, and one of the most important things with teaching is it teaches you how to really effectively communicate. Yeah. Um, especially when you're trying to teach a child, a very young child who might not have that, that same language um, developed as you have as an adult, right? So just being able to um, strategize different ways um, to communicate with different learning styles, with different skill levels, um, and sort of, you know, with that breaking down of that process, um, you actually teach yourself a thing or two about, hey, this is like, you've made everything so incredibly complicated, you know, yeah. when you speak to a child. You have to simplify things. And it's like, well, why am I making my life so complicated when it's actually something as simple as this? Um, And so just having that sort of self-reflection in the process of teaching, you know, I feel like that can sometimes be a bit of the balance with, you know, teaching five, six, seven hours a day, um, but also still nurturing your development with who you are as an artist and who you are as a person and a creative being. Yeah. Well, something that I normally ask is how does your family react to your choice to pursue the arts as a career? But um, since you're teaching, I'm assuming that they're uh, fully on board. (laughs) Yes. Um, It's so funny. My mom always um, reminds me, I I should say, you know, don't forget that in addition to being a teacher, you've also invested a very large part of your life in performing Mm -hmm. um, and to not completely just let that drop by the wayside or completely um, neglect that. And I'll be completely honest with you, after we graduated, I did um, undergrad and grad school at Juilliard. So that was there for six years, four Mm -hmm. years for undergrad, two years um, for my master's. And I was just 
mentally, emotionally, physically exhausted, literally like graduation came around and I just needed to, to take a step back. Um, so, you know, I would play gigs here and there, practice here and there, you know, all that kind of stuff, but I wasn't putting in the four or five hours a day that I was when I was a student. And so I feel like, and that was actually for a couple of years. Mm. Um, so I would say it wasn't until, I mean, going back to, to Briley and just this whole new outlook on life after giving life, Uh (laughs) um, you know, I would probably say within the past three or four years um, was the time when I really started, you know, picking my myself back up again and putting my life um, back together because I lost sight of, you know, what was my end goal with performing? What was right. my end goal with practicing? When you're in school, you know, you're learning this concerto and you're playing this orchestra piece and you're going on this tour and you're doing all of these sorts of things, but who are you really um, as an artist and what do you want to do with all of these things that you're learning? Where do you want them to take you? Where do you want to go with them? Um, and I lost sight of that um, when I finished school. And so I'm happy, you know, everything happens for a reason. I'm happy. I actually took those couple of years to just sort of get back to knowing me yeah. um, and who I am, you know, the type of artist I want to be, the type of wife, the type of mother, the type of teacher, um, all of those sorts of things. And so I needed that time to just sort of, I didn't realize it in the, in the, in the, you know, in the midst of it all, I did not realize that that's where I was mentally and physically and spiritually and emotionally. But looking back on it now that I'm in such a much better place than I was in the couple of years after I graduated, I'm so thankful I went to that process because it really, Oh, are you there? Oh, I'm here. Can you hear me? Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I was just saying, I'm really thankful I, I went through that process because now I appreciate everything that I have so much more than I would have had I not, I mean, almost for lack of a better term, like just lost it all, <laughs> that kind of feeling. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I'm just thankful that I've been able to piece the puzzle back together um, with the things that, you know, Dawn Michelle Johnson wants to do with her life and, you know, the people who I want to touch and the people who I want to reach. Um, and just, you know, how I want to raise my, my child. Um, so yeah. Since you've had your daughter and I mean, you're teaching all these kids, you're so busy. Mm -hmm. Um, how are you figuring that out as a mom? Like, how are you finding time to like, also just be an individual? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm, Uh, I'm learning from you. <laughs> we don't have kids yet, but I'm learning from you. It's another balancing act. It, it really is another balancing act. Um, but in the sense of a child, you know, my husband and I, we are her sole caretakers. We are responsible 100% for her life. Um, and so obviously that's priority number one. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with everything else, Um, it's just trying to shuffle things around with the remaining balance, right? So my number one and my number two are wife, mother, period. And, you know, 90% of the time, there's no conflict between, you know, professional um, obligations and home personal obligations. But we've just sort of structured our lives in such a way um, where we've made room and made time to know and understand that like she needs us first homework gets done every night you know as soon as you <laughs> walk in the door right like we're not my husband actually cooks every single day very seldomly do we eat out um and so you know when we get home he's cooking i'm practicing she's doing her homework um so everybody's sort of working together and doing their part to make this sort of well yeah <laughs> well-oiled machine, you know work 
um, you know, she recently changed schools because we moved a little further out, um, out of the city. And so, you know, my husband's out the door at six something in the morning. Um, but before he leaves, you know, he's brushing teeth, washing face, getting breakfast ready, packing lunch, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and then once he's out the door, all I have to do is just put clothes on and, you know, let's go. And then I get you to school and then I get to work. Mm -hmm. Um, so just, you know, finding again, that balance of what works for you and what works for your family, obviously, especially, you know, when they're newborns and really young, they get sick all the time. So it's like, oh my gosh, wait, well, how can I take a week off here? And then another week off here. Oh wait, you can't take off here. You have a football game and just sort of, you know, again, that balancing act. Um, but you know, we've been really blessed to have, I call them angels. Um, positioned in very strategic places in our lives. And I have a wonderful, wonderful boss here um, at KIPP DC um, who just has never, he's always understood. Um, And, you know, I made it very clear to him, you know, I'm giving you 150% um, in what I'm capable of doing as a teacher and, you know, really helping to educate our students here. But, you know, like he always says, he says, life happens, right? And life happens to everybody. Um, So it's really nice to have someone um, who understands that um, and who's just always right there. You know, there was a day where it was a terrible rainstorm and I couldn't get in touch with my husband and my daughter was still at daycare and he was, I was like, hey, like, can't get in touch with Brian. Um, Briley's still at school. He literally dropped everything that he did in that moment it was like we gotta go and like threw me in his car and was like we gotta go get her um so just being you know having a really really wonderful support system um we have great um my in-laws are here um oh, that's so, great. yeah they actually just moved maybe like five minutes away from us oh, wow. <laughs> um so that's been really really helpful um because they don't have you know the typical nine to five work schedule so now if Riley gets sick for example you know it's yeah. off to grandma's house we go that's huge um, we can still go to work and you know all that kind of stuff so just you know being very prayerful um about you know when these things do come up or you know if there's a day that's a bit tricky like you always get through like you know um one of my favorite things to live by is like god doesn't give us anything that we can't handle um and so just always knowing that like everything's going to be fine everything is fixable everything is going to work out um it just sorts uh helps to alleviate that stress yeah. Um, that comes along with, oh my God, what am I going to do? Um, there's very little of that now because we can do because God said we can. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it just literally, it works every single time. Yeah. I was going to ask why DC, but is that where your husband's from? No, he's actually from Pittsburgh. Um, Yeah, we met um, actually when I was at Juilliard, probably, I think I just started grad school. um, And we met spring break in Jamaica. Um, A close (laughs) friend of ours had put together a trip of eight of her closest friends. It's very real world, but like none of us knew each other. We all just had descriptions of who to look for in the airports in our connecting cities. Um, And so we got there. She had rented this beautiful like villa. Spring break games. Oh my Very gosh. real world spring break. Um, but he had actually, we had a driver who was picking us up from the airport. So I connected with the other young lady who I was meeting up with in the airport. And we were just stranded in the airport for hours. We were like, oh my God, there's no driver. We're broke college students. We're being punked. It was like at the height of Ashton Kutcher's punks. Um, we're in another country. What are we going to do? And so we like put some money together and we paid like $50, which is a lot of money for a broke college yes. kid. <laughs> and we like took a taxi. We had the address of the house that we were going to. And so we got to the house and then maybe a couple hours later he shows up with the driver and we're like wait a second um 
you were supposed to meet us at the airport and take us all here. Um, and so his flight ended up getting in a little bit earlier. And so he like took the driver to go have a beer somewhere <laughs> and just completely left us stranded at the airport. Um, and the rest is history. Here we are <laughs> nearly 10 years later, married with a kid. You forgave him. <laughs> right. Um, but you're, are you enjoying DC? You guys think you're there for the long haul? Possibly, possibly. Yeah. Um, we're kind of up in the air right now with, you know, next moves. But, I mean, our number one um, informant right now is just school, obviously, for Briley. Um, so we have a lot of options to sort of weigh out there. Um, and I guess when both of your parents are teachers, they're a little um, harsher on <laughs> the requirements yeah. of, you know, what your education is going to look like. Um, yeah. And so, you know, we'll we'll see. Um, we're open to staying in D.C., but we're also open to, you know, going other places and seeing. We, we're sort of nomads. Um, we like to travel around. We like to see different people and, you know, have new experiences. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, once we start to get into a pattern of just like the the monotony of just every day, hi, same people, hey, same places, um, you know, we start to get a little restless. So maybe we need like a nice long vacation and we'll come back and we'll stay in D.C. forever or maybe we'll say, oh, you know, yeah, we've run our course in D.C., you know, let's <laughs> go somewhere else and see what it's like to live there. My heart, though, is still very much in Florida and Miami yeah. and beach and sun and colorful, you know, clothing and, you know, really sort of, uh, out there personalities, yeah. um, and DC is a little bit more reserved in that regard. So we'll see. Can I ask? Has the um, has the mood changed a lot in DC since the inauguration? Um, <laughs> or is it just business it, as usual? Yeah, I don't know if it's changed um, necessarily as things have become more um, in focus. Um, so I feel like some of the things that we're experiencing here in D.C. Um, have sort of always been there or have already been brewing prior to number 45. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but I think um, definitely the culture um, within what we experience in our classrooms on a day to day basis has not changed, but it's allowed students to become more vocal um, about their feelings in the process of everything that's been happening. Um, I feel like, you know, before everything was kind of like, okay, let's get down to this curriculum and let's learn these math problems and let's learn how to play this piece of music. And, and so now you really are forced, um, or if you're, if you don't feel like you're forced, you're doing yourself and your students a disservice as an educator, um, but you're yeah. really, you know, put in a position where you are responsible um, for taking on the concerns um, and the questions that students um, have about everything that's happening. Um, you know, I made it a point, well, I've been making it a point particularly throughout Black History Month where I think like 99.99% .99 of our student population are African Americans. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we open up every class with a video called From the Top. Um, and it's like, you know, performers, uh, minority performers, um, mm -hmm. either in the field of classical music or just music in general, particularly uh, playing string instruments, um, you know, just showing what they do on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, there's a guy who goes to Juilliard, he calls himself that viola kid. Um, and so he has you know, a bunch of YouTube videos that talks about what it's like for him as a young African-American man um, yeah. in the day as a Juilliard student. Um, and so the kids have really enjoyed watching his series. You know, they just watched recently the winners of the Sphinx competition, which are, you know, the best of the best in young African-American Latino string performers. Um, they love the group Black Violin. Mm -hmm. um, 
they, I mean, they're just so interested in seeing more and more people who look like them doing things out of the norm, um, of which you would, you know, necessarily be seeing young African-American students and young Hispanic students, um, doing, or that media image portrayal of what black and Spanish people are doing on a day-to-day basis. Um, and you literally see almost like their heart jump out of their mouth because they're like, oh my gosh, like there's a whole nother world out there than just the world that's made available to me right here in my community. Um, and so that's one of my really, you know, special moments in teaching is, you know, taking all of those questions and curiosities um, and concerns and incorporating them into our lessons from day to day. Um, it forces me to grow as an educator. It also forces me to grow as a, um, you know, as an artist and as a performer because I'm listening to young people tell me the things that they want to see and the things that they want to hear. And it's going to be, you know, the way that I present it to them that's going to have the long lasting effect on how they perceive these things moving forward in their lives. Um, so it's a delicate balance. You have to be very careful with not letting your immediate personal reaction to things be at the forefront of those discussions um, because I try to stay very objective so they can form their own opinions. I don't want my opinion. I always put on the top of every assignment. I'm not grading you on your opinion um, just so they feel very comfortable and it's a safe space for them to express um, who they are. Um, particularly in public education right now, you know, music, at least at this particular school, it's the only creative outlet sort of class um, that they have. Everything else is very sort of academic outside Mm -hmm. of PE and, you know, Spanish. Um, But in terms of the creative arts, this is the class for them to be in that creative space. And so I try to push beyond the borders of just, oh, let's pick up our violins and our violas and play our D major scale and then let's go play Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. but just sort of, you know, incorporating those, oh, well, you know, well, when I look at orchestras, all I see are a bunch of white people on the stage. I don't see any black people on the stage. Well, let me show you this orchestra. Here's an orchestra that is 100% African-American and Spanish musicians. Does that change your perspective just a little bit? Um, And so just asking these really open-ended questions to force them to do the thinking as opposed to me to do the thinking for them. Um, and just, you know, allowing safe space. The first 15 minutes of every class is just an open discussion um, based off your reaction to the video, which often, you know, segues into many other, you know, conversations about race and politics and all of those sorts of things. Um, So last week, um, we watched this really, really wonderful video. Um, When I was in Detroit at the Sphinx Conference, um, they premiered a piece titled The Seven Last Words of the Unarmed. Um, And so it was a new composition based on the last words of seven African-American men who were killed at the hands of law enforcement within the past couple of years. So it opened up one movement, um, had Trayvon um, Martin's last words, and it was the University of Michigan Men's Choir with the Sphinx Orchestra, Um, and I mean, it was just an incredible experience, and Trayvon's last words were, why are you following me? And so they created a whole movement and a piece just based off of those words, why are you following me? Um, There was Eric Garner, I can't breathe. trying to think, Amadou Diallo, um, his last words to his mother um, were, Mom, I got into college. Um, And so with the KIPP DC network of schools, um, one of their mottos is we get kids to and through college. So for them to hear the piece open up with a young African-American male whose final words before he passed away were, Mom, I got into college, you know, it, it opened up a conversation about, well, we, you know, He was innocent. He did everything right. He got into college. How is he not here um, to be in college right now and to continue telling um, that story? And so it's really interesting um, to hear their reactions to things like that. Um, And it forces them to really think outside of the box um, as in terms of, you know, the opportunities that may or may not be available to you. Um, But 
where are you going to find yourself in this overall landscape of injustice um, Mm -hmm. that is sweeping, (laughs) you know, that has always been, right? We just have more access to it now. Um, But that has been sweeping our country. And you, as the young people, you are going to inform, you know, how these things um, move forward. Um, And so, you know, I'm always really interested to see and hear their reactions. But more importantly, you know, I'm still an orchestral music teacher at the end of the day, how it influences the way in which they play um, their instruments. But then it's all connected and they don't have to walk in your classroom and shut themselves off. Absolutely. I say as long as it's school appropriate, you know, we're not going to be dropping (laughs) F-bombs and all that kind of, although sometimes there's some words that get thrown around. Um, But when the the words get thrown around, it's just a genuine, honest reaction. I mean, I'm teaching, you know, young teenagers. I'm not teaching five-year-olds or six-year-olds. I'm teaching literally young um, teenagers who, you know, just want to express themselves as explicitly um, and as passionately as possible. And I think it's really important not to discourage that. But, you know, just if you want people to listen to you, well, if you're cursing every other word, you know, people are going to be less inclined to listen to you. So let's develop the language that you need to discuss these issues and then so you know when you have these discussions outside of the classroom you want people to listen to you so let's you know help you um you know put together you know still in your language dream in your language speak in your language um but how can we open up that um that language to have more of an impact on people who might not speak the same language as you right so mm-hmm. mm. uh do you know samora Penderhues? He was in the jazz program, probably maybe after you left. I think that was probably after I left. All right, I'm going to email you about he, um, or if you want to go back, he was on the podcast, but he's he's put okay. out this piece that your students might be really interested in called the Transformation okay. Suite that's uh, all about uh, activism, <laughs> and it's okay. really amazing, but I'll, I'll email it to you. But... You said the Transformation Suite? Yeah. Okay. And it's got... Uh, one of the actors from school does this poetry over it, and it's, it's really amazing what he's made, but... Love it. Um, totally connected to all of that. Love it. Is there anything from the past year or two that you're really proud of that you want to tell me about, like a lesson you've learned or... Ooh, that's a great like question. That? It doesn't have to be, like, a huge thing. Mm-hmm. Anything in the past year or two that I am very proud of? This is a really good question, actually, because <laughs> you, I just... I get so caught up in the hustle and bustle of life that, it, you know, <laughs> very seldom do I stop and, you know, sort of reflect yeah. um, on everything. Let's see. Well, I know I keep talking about this Sphinx conference. Um, well, it sounds like you just, just had an amazing time there. I mean, Leah, it was, it was the best. It was the best thing, not even thing. It was the best event for literally artists, leaders, advocates um, for diversity. Um, This particular organization primarily works with the field of classical music Uh um, and sort of expanding the numbers of African-Americans and Latino musicians that you see in the American symphonic landscape. Um, But I mean, just attending that conference was my soul needed that. I didn't realize how much my soul needed it. Um, It was, I mean, five days of probably almost every African-American principal player in, you know, like in uh, American orchestras. Um, It was sessions that involved interviews, you know, with people like Melissa Harris Perry, um, interviewing um, the founder of the Sphinx organization, who was Aaron Dworkin, um, watching, um, you know, in 
one of my idols, uh, Martina Arroyo, be interviewed um, for an award at the Sphinx Conference. Um, she was one of the first African American women to, you know, grace the stages of the the Metropolitan Opera. Um, so just seeing people. Um, who look like me and who are as passionate as I am about bringing diversity to a field that is just so primarily white. Yeah. <laughs> and just, and it was a gathering of over 500 people who were just as passionate, who care just as much, but who are also the top performers in the field who are experiencing some of the same difficulties you know, in different geographical locations around the country. Why can't black and Latino musicians either win orchestra jobs um, or just have the same prominence in their performing careers as everyone else? Um, Why are these sort of opportunities denied? And so what the conference did was it took all of these really fundamental questions about diversity in the arts and it forced you to sit down um, and number one, take a closer look at the issues, um, you know, what could be some of the causes, but everything was just so very solutional oriented. I feel like we talk about these things a lot and sort of just get lost in this wash of, you know, endless possibilities, but actually making it concrete and actually making it tangible and actionable and looking for the results. Um, I think this conference did a great job um, in addressing that, but also bridging across, you know, the genre. The final concert had um, Karen Clark Sheard, who's a really four-time winning Grammy gospel artist, Mm -hmm. um, collaborate with the Sphinx Symphony, um, singing John Legend and Common's Glory. Um, and so just that sense of, you know, pride, you know, this sense of, um, people coming together because they believe very deeply in the core of their souls that there is a place, um, for minorities in this field. And we are all actively, um, doing our part in bringing, um, more opportunities for particularly young African-Americans and young Latino musicians to show them that, you know, this is something that's possible for you. And you don't, you don't have to fall into these stereotypes. You don't have to be someone's, you know, stat. Um, and so, you know, your life is, the possibilities for your life are endless. They're limitless. Um, and so, you know, just to not be so consumed, um, in trying to abide by this, you know, this, box of limits that society has placed around you, but just sort of breaking free through all of that and just living the life that God has destined you to live and created you. You know, if we were all Mm -hmm. meant to do the same things and there'd be one person walking around the earth and, you know, that would, that would be it. But we all have such unique and special gifts um, that we've all been blessed with and to see everyone using those gifts for a greater good other than themselves, but for the field, right? Not me as a performer, what are my opportunities as a performer, but for everyone collectively in the field, um, you had people just starting out, people who have won four Grammys, you know, people who have been awarded million dollar grants from the Mellon foundation. You had all of these working parts, you know, coming together to make sure that our young people coming up behind us have more opportunities, um, than we had and just creating that safe space for them to just want to continue dreaming um, and living in a world bigger than what they might see immediately in front of them. Yeah. And to have so. that community, so addressing those problems so you're not mm-hmm. just feeling like, oh, I'm, I'm over here in D.C. having this experience and how do I take action? But to have everybody together being like, you're not the only one who's Absolutely. faced that. What can we Absolutely. do as a community? Mm-hmm. That's really, Absolutely. really amazing. And this was the first time you'd had contact with that organization. You so I've actually been in the Sphinx. We call ourselves the Sphinx family okay. uh, since I was a teenager, probably okay. since like 
late high school, early Juilliard days. Um, And I went and played in the orchestra for maybe a year or two back when I was in school. Um, But like I said, you know, when I finished school, I took a major step back from everything. Um, And so in September, um, I was presented with a fellowship to attend the conference as a Sphinx fellow. So in order to be a fellow, you have to either have been an alumni of the symphony or in a competition or be affiliated with the organization in some way, shape or form. Um, and so I was awarded this fellowship and I, I mean, I immediately said, absolutely. Um, because I just, they're such a reputable organization and they do so many wonderful things, um, in the field, um, of classical music that I just knew it was something that absolutely had to be a part of. Um, and I actually just thought to myself, it was the first time I actually left traveling without my family since I had Briley. So I was actually really apprehensive and nervous about that. Um, but I said, you know, I, this is the only thing that will make me, (laughs) you know, leave home for five days Yeah, because I knew I would come back just better than, than when, when I left. So it was great. That sounds amazing. Well, I have kept you for a long time. I just have two, we could keep talking forever, obviously, but (laughs) I have two, two short questions just to wrap it up. So one is when you're having a day where you're feeling uninspired or, just unmotivated or something like that are there concrete things that you reach for again and again I know you said prayer but is there like a book that you reach for or a certain piece of music that you listen to or a place that you go that helps Mm -hmm. you get out of that feeling yeah it's actually a combination of things um I mean like you already said definitely prayer Mm -hmm. um but there's um another book associated with prayer called the bible (laughs) so I mean and it sounds as cliche as it may sound it's really it's really been my saving grace as a person, as an artist, as an educator, as just all the way around. Um, And so I really try to attach um, my feelings onto scriptures. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's scriptures that, you know, address a feeling of despair. There are scriptures that, you know, address worry. Um, In particular for me, like I'm a worrier. Um, And so turning that worrying um, into, you know, this sense of, Hey, my worrying is actually me having a lack of faith. Let me go find myself some scriptures to read in the Bible that address this issue of having a lack of faith. So, you know, just sitting, spending some time with that. Nothing too, you know, strenuous, maybe two or three verses um, to marinate um, a day. There's also a book that actually one of my um, coworkers, who's also a friend of mine, gave me. um, And it's a book on, it's called Fervent. um, Mm -hmm. And it's a book on strategic, deliberate, prayer, um, particularly for women. And so just addressing this issue of, you know, when things aren't happening the way we want them to in our lives, or, you know, there's so much just going about day to day that we can, you know, become overwhelmed. Um, It's a book where, you know, you actually like on post-its inside of the book, write down your deliberate, strategic, specific prayer um, Mm. for that day. And there are also scriptures, you know, sort of webbed um, throughout the whole book. Um, And you can always refer back to it. You know, it says that by the time you finish this book, um, it should look like, you know, it's been ran over by a truck like 30 times because you, you know, constantly refer to it so many times and you've ripped it up and you've written in it and you've put things on your bathroom window. Um, and so just being um, really concrete um, with things like that. My husband also, my husband's an English teacher, like I said, um, and his passion is African-American literature. I mean, mm-hmm. if you looked at his nightstand, just just a stack um, of books every night. Um, and so I find that particularly when I'm down on myself um, for issues related to race, which has been more so nowadays um, than you yeah. know ever. 
Um, I want to be really informed um, and know my history as an African-American woman um, and, you know, try to be as objective as I can um, when discussing these issues, not with just my child, um, but other people in the community and particularly other people's children. Right. Um, I want to make sure that the things that I'm saying are factual um, and I want to make sure that the things that I'm saying um, have a deeply rooted spirit in the African-American community. So a lot of African-American literature essays, um, you know, James Baldwin, Dick Gregory, um, you know, just some of the really great um, poets and authors from the Harlem Renaissance, um, looking back through that, you know, lens of history um, and, you know, the experiences that my predecessors um, have experienced throughout, you know, since, you know, 1600s when slaves were first brought to um, this country, you know, those experiences have been documented. And so just being able to connect and hold on to my ancestry um, that includes people, particularly women, um, who have gone through way worse um, yeah. experiences um, and who've documented them, but not just documented their personal experiences, but, you know, um, documented their involvement and how they um, helped other members of their community overcome um, sort of these hardships. Um, I want to, you know, take those experiences and sort of, you know, put them into my toolbox of how I can, as a 20, you know, as an African-American woman living in the 21st century in Washington, D.C., right? Yeah. Um, how, yeah. you know, I can find strength um, through the experiences of my ancestors who went through far worse. And, you know, just knowing that, you know, they're there's still work to do, obviously, but, you know, that, that empowering strength that comes along with, hey, these people made it out of the horrors of the slave trade, the atrocities of just things that, you know, happened in the early days of slavery through Jim Crow. You know, I haven't been sprayed down with a water hose. I haven't been shot, you know, God, <laughs> you know, God forbid. Um, you know, I haven't been, you know, God forbid, I haven't been raped. I haven't had any of these horrible things that were just commonplace, right, within the yeah. African-American community from the early days of slavery. Those things, I have not experienced personally those things. So there's always this optimistic feeling. You know, there's 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 always somebody going through something far worse than what you're going through. Um, and so I find optimism um, in connecting myself through literature um, um, of, you know, my ancestors, um, through the Bible, um, through fervent. And also, you know, my mother uh, gave me a book called Mozart for a Mother's Soul. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, you know, just sort of more lighthearted yeah. um, pieces like that. Um, even I, I, we read to Briley every single night. We don't take a day off um, from reading. So I find joy in Jack and the Beanstalk. <laughs> and it's just, you know, so refreshing at the end of the day where you've done all of this heavy lifting yeah. to just come and read a, a nursery rhyme, come and read a fairy tale. You know, let's let's read your book about trolls. And, yeah. You know, so, um, and I say, you know, that's how children are such a blessing to our lives too. They just sort of allow things to lighten up um, yeah. a little bit um, and just sort of have this really refreshing view. And you don't want to, you know, taint this refreshing um perspective that they have because they've only been alive for a couple of hundred days right yeah. um and so just you know finding ways to um balance sort of the heavy duty lifting and the heavy duty literature with the more spiritual place in scripture with the lightheartedness of you know fun playful children's literature yeah those are those are all good things yeah. then the last question is uh, have you mm -hmm. seen anything recently that you want to recommend either a live event in dc or a, a movie or anything anything you like that's really, really great. Well, instead of watching the inauguration, Brian and I watched um, Birth of a Nation, which was phenomenal. It was yeah. very, very, very well done. I haven't seen um, it. 
Holy, it's I actually walked away with it with the feeling of like, no wonder they had to go digging deeply into his past to bring these sort of negative issues about him personally to light. Um, who is it? Nate Parker? Yeah, um, the director, right? Right, right. And he got caught up in all like the rape and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Um, but I mean, it, I, I believe firmly that it's a story that America overall um, doesn't want you to see or doesn't want you to know. And so it, I, I walked away with the feeling of like, man, they had to pull out everything that they could hmm. to shut this down because this is a story um, that particularly um, African-Americans need to see. You know, you, you read um, you you read about Nat Turner, but actually seeing these things. Um, and, you know, there's some degree of Hollywood license yeah. and all of that kind of, of stuff. Course. But I don't think... You know, they did too much in terms of editing down um, Nat Turner's narrative. Um, and so that was something that was very eye-opening for me um, and very important um, to see. Um, and when we watch movies like that, we always have to watch when Riley's like at school or, you know, yeah. I was like, oh, let's watch Frozen. Okay, let's go out. <laughs> Nat Turner, birth of a <laughs> <No>. um, <laughs> um, So that was something that was really, really, really great. Okay. Um, I'm performing actually um, next month at a very unique event. I don't even know what it's going to be about yet, but the title is very exciting. Uh-huh. Um, it's called the Rite of Spring Dance Party, um, based off of Stravinsky's famous piece, Rite of Spring. Okay. It's like this sort of like outdoor market space. Um, so I'm excited. Um, the name is catchy. Um, and I think it's like a small orchestra. And I don't know if people will be dancing. I don't know what people will be doing. But it's at uh, Dot 5 Union Market um, in D.C. on, I believe it's March 13th okay. at 8.30 p.m. Um, I can, like, send you more of the details on yeah, it. Yeah, and I'll let people know. Yeah. And then um, my husband and I um, went to Most Def's final, uh, or I guess he's known as Yasin Bey now, mm-hmm. um, his final uh, concerts in America um, at the Kennedy Center um, over New Year's Eve, actually into New Year's Day. Um, and that was just an incredible experience um, because I went on tour with him for a little while when I was in Juilliard. Oh. Um, and he and my husband hit it off really well, like years and years ago. And so Most Def is, and you know, when we first started dating, Most Def was like probably the only, between Most Def and Lauren Hill, it was like all we listened to. Right. Um, and so to, you know, go to his final concert, he gave us a little private concert one night during a rehearsal many, many years ago. And to go back, you know, for his final show um, in the U.S., um, I learned so much through music, um, about music through him and through my experiences with working with him. Um, and to just see, you know, an artist of such high caliber, but still be so incredibly down to earth um, and just loves being around people and loves the art um, of music. And it's just so, you know, spiritually grounded. Um, I really enjoyed that experience at his concert that night. Yeah, that so. must have been amazing. Oh, it was On amazing. New Year's Eve, geez. It was amazing. And then he brought out like Robert Glasper and his group. Um, and it was, it was just great. The room was, but you know, what's so interesting about concerts like that. Um, when you're in like places like the Kennedy center or Carnegie hall or like these major sort of concert hall spaces, um, I feel like people are kind of apprehensive to like get up and dance and woo. Yeah. Like, have a good time. There's like a formality. <laughs> yeah. Like we never shy away from that. Cause we're like, good. we just paid. <laughs> A couple hundred dollars for a ticket. So we're going to come in here. We're going to have a really, really good time. Yeah. Um, and we did. I mean, we had 
phenomenal time, you know, often the only people like standing up, dancing, but um, with Brian's perspective from, you know, when he came to a couple of most deaf shows that I did back in college at like Carnegie Hall, um, I always knew where he was in the audience because he was the only person standing up, dancing, <laughs> um, and doing all of these sorts of things. So I think we have to find a way, especially with, you know, more and more uh, sort of cross-genre music coming into concert halls, just finding a way to, you know, make audiences feel like it's okay to let your hair down a little bit, you know, it's okay mm-hmm. to clap between the movement because <laughs> yeah. you know that, that sort of etiquette um actually is for an artist performing you know you feed off of the energy of the audience and when everyone's just sitting there like reading their program notes being prim and proper and all of those sorts of things it it takes away um from what the artist is able to give because they don't have that energy to you know sort of feed yeah. off of um it just makes it too too formal you know like yeah, totally. this is yeah just great music have fun there's a nice beat to it dance he's dancing you know he's throwing roses all over the stage like let's just have that same amount of fun mm-hmm. so don thank you so much this was such a pleasure and hey, it's so exciting to hear that. about everything you're involved in thank you uh this is i mean this has been amazing for me thank you for my first <laughs> podcast, um interview um and it's been i mean really really fun it's great to see you i haven't I know, seen you so in a really long time so and you still you. look like you haven't aged a day since college <laughs> well you likewise i'm gonna i'm gonna stop recording but i won't hang up just yet so you can say okay. goodbye then. listening to the compass podcast i'm leah walsh more episodes are coming soon please look for us on facebook and itunes i'd like to thank the following people for their generosity the compass cover art is by kim miller music by brendan spieth audio assistance from nick choksi and a special thanks to frankie j alvarez see you next time Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.